Jeff here. Thanks for listening. Go to playvolutionhq.com slash ccbag or click the link in the show notes for the show's archives, ways to connect, ways to support the show, information about happy hour, and more. Bar and Grill in the title. I'm Jeff Johnson coming to you from Upstairs Studio in the Snuggery along the Gulf of Mexico from the wild, wild urban metropolis happening Newcastle, New South Wales, Australia. <laughs> We've got Nicole Halton from Inspired EC. How you doing, Nicole? G'day, mate. I'm good. I thought I'd try you a g'day, mate. I haven't done one for a while. We were actually well, having I, that conversation in the car the other day and my 10-year-old's like, why do Americans always think we say g'day, mate? As if we say that. And I'm like, we say it all the time. We just don't say it in the way that they say it. So if <laughs> someone's saying an Australian version, it's g'day, mate. And it's like, we don't say it like that. You just say, g'day, mate, how's it going? Yeah. That's it. It all rolls together off the tongue. Rolls and see that's why I can't. I'd love to. I'd love to call people mate, but it, this doesn't roll off my tongue. It hasn't been on my tongue long enough. Um, yeah. But we're going to talk about language as a loose part in a little bit, and uh, and um, uh, I think that good day mate might come up there because I think it's a it's a fun way to play with words. But before that, something much more important. Um, I've got another hypothetical for you, um, Nicole. Excellent. Um, we talked about the mushrooms, right? Oh yes, body mushrooms. Yeah, I, I was disturbed okay. by it. Yeah, yeah. So this is a, this is another one along those lines. Right. Um. I'm so you've been invited to be a guest on a new game show. Uh, I don't quite know Ooh. the name of it yet, but um, it's a surgery based okay. game show, and oh. and as a con- as a contestant, you get to pick a surgery that you think you can perform on another human being. Um, and you have 48 hours to prepare. Um, what surgery do you think you could do? Okay. What do I think I could do? I don't know. Like I've watched a few of those kind of plastic surgery shows like botched and, um, there used to be a really good one, uh, nip tuck with, he was an Australian fellow anyway. He was on it. Uh, and I used to think some of that looked easy but gruesome. I feel like a nose job, like there's like hammering and stuff involved. I feel like maybe um, it was a bit brutal, but I feel like it, it just just looked like banging stuff into place. And I'm like, maybe that's easy. I don't know. Um, other than that, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I've not given a great deal of thought to surgeries. None of it seems particularly simple I feel like there's processing there's blood involved in almost all of it and I'm not really into blood mm-hmm. um yeah I don't know maybe 
let's go let's go the nose job nose Just job that bash it into place i think that sounds bash it into place. so i think i think that sounds kind of that's i think that's the most advanced one anybody's come up with yet um i i started out thinking you know I could why do what a, did everyone else come up with well, Sam said she could do like if somebody has has a a mole that they think might be cancerous, she could remove a mole, oh. that kind of thing. Oh no, I watched thing you I watched do. that happen to my husband last year. He had skin cancer on his back, uh-huh. such an Australian problem. And I watched that get removed and no, no, gross. Not happening. And I can't. I can't remember what the other one is. I think I asked uh, Stephanie. I can't remember what she what she said. Um, I, I I started out thinking I could do I could do a, a simple amputation, like a toe or a finger. Um, oh yeah. Well, that is actually where my brain went first was toes. I was like, something to remove a toe would probably be simple. Yeah, yeah, and and then and then we got into maybe oh yeah, Stephanie's was she she thought she could like remove if somebody got like a a a a an injury and they had like glass embedded in them or something she thought they she could get in there and and dig that out. I thought I could do the same with uh with like a, a I think I thought I could remove buckshot or a bullet or or maybe if you had an arrow through your shoulder I could take care of that. But then I moved on. I think I could do a C section. I think I could handle no, a C section. <laughs> What? I've had one of those and I would not let someone who was untrained to do one of those. It's like Oh, but you you let them give you a nose job? I probably would. Like, wow, yeah, no, like a nose is such a small vicinity. A C section is such a big expanse of skin and layers to cut through and and, and it's very when they take that baby out, it's like everything's there like all the organs and all that like it's well no 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 you don't think I you're not do doing that? it I think I can. No. I think I could totally do it. Hey, listeners, if you'd like me to do your C-section, uh, give us a give us a call or a text at two two eight three six three six seven three seven. I think I could do a C-section. I think now that maybe maybe appendix. I could remove an appendix because I mean, look, look. Well, I, I mean, can do a C-section anyway. So. Sure, you just got to find the right the the right bit. Um, and I figure if I'm in there doing the C-section already, I might I take out the appendix for free if I was a surgeon. You know, just just rooting around in there, take care of that. Um, like a bonus. Yeah, yeah, kind of a yeah, kind of no 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 charge. Just uh, here, let me take out your appendix. Um, plus, I'm going to keep it in a jar. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't tell people. I would just keep it. Um, yeah, probably I, I I'm not ethical enough to be a surgeon. Um, so you don't think I could do a C-section, huh? because I, I don't think you should do a C-section. <laughs> well, I mean, if it was an emergency situation and I had 48 hours to to bone up, watch videos and stuff. Because I mean, basically, you're making a decision. You're reaching no. in. You're you're grabbing the baby out. You're taking care of the umbilical cord. You're you're pulling all that extra goo out of there. Um, and uh, and then and then you're and just then, hoping that you can put it all back together. Yeah, you stuff back the stuff that doesn't come out, and uh, and then you you stitch it up. <laughs> Seems pretty easy. <laughs> Seems pretty easy. 
Okay. Well, um, there, there, we got that, that, that very important bit of podcasting taken care of. Uh, I was going to tell you about my new friend this episode, but we'll save that for the next episode. Um, listener Sally. Hi, Sally. Sally's not a real name. She, uh, well, I'm not going to tell you why she uses a. Oh, a Sally's a pseudonym. Yeah. Yeah. Sally's got a. Anyway, uh, if Sally wants to come out someday, she can. But uh, Sally needs to um, maintain a, a a bit of privacy in in her life <clears throat> and can't have you know, her random thoughts out there on the internet. Um, sounds like Sally's like a spy or something, isn't it? She uh she is not a spy. Um, she messaged and she was wondering about the a conversation about language as loose parts. So I thought that might be fun. And anyway, I'm pretty sure it was Sally. Um, somebody will correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and so what are your thoughts on language as a, as a loose part? Oh, I love language. I'm, well, that's probably not a secret. Like I love to write. And so language is very important. Love to write, love to talk. So, um, done language. Um, and I love, I love listening to children play with language. And, you know, even adults play with language, but, you know, like I'm a huge fan of alliteration and that for me is being playful with language. It's, you know, if I'm titling a training session or a new resource or something, I want to try and, try and make it alliterative or I want it to rhyme or I want it to, you know, like I want to play with the way the words sound. Um, even yesterday, one of our team came to me and she was writing a um a letter to our regulatory department and it was in response to um, a report. And so it was just a kind of a formal response. And all she was doing was giving them some facts and she wrote something and then she's like, oh, I might change this word. She was reading, I was reading it and she was reading it over my shoulder and she's like, hang on, I need to change that word. Yes, that's better. That's got a better poetic flow. And I'm like, we're not writing a novel. We're writing a submission to a regulatory body. But yet I would have done the exact same thing. So I was totally fine with it. Um, so, yeah, I love the idea of language as a loose part. I think it is something that we can be playful with and it's, you know, movable and malleable and, you know, you can play with concepts of language and words and sounds and, you know, and we see toddlers and or infants even, you know, playing with sound, you know, that's such a valuable experience in that learning of language but I think we sometimes when children have established language skills so they're past that kind of infant toddler stage they've kind of got this huge vocabulary and they've we kind of forget that children need to play with language I think and so when they're you know being silly with words or even I know with my own children you know there's a lot of singing in our household which is great but sometimes it's like singing the same you know, little chorus over and over again and just changing one word or, you know, like singing things that rhyme and, you know, it's stuff that drives me crazy, but you kind of forget that that is a thing to be played with. Yeah, yeah. So listeners um, who are, are maybe new to the concept of loose parts or just have a, a Facebook and Instagram kind of relationship with it a lot of times people think loose parts are just physical objects in the environment and and they they are that um but 
Simon Nicholson, who who didn't invent the concept of loose parts, but he kind of popularized it with a with an uh, essay he wrote back in 1971 or 72 called "The Theory of Loose Parts." In that in that essay, he outlines he, he defines loose parts as variables in the environment. And uh, and and later in the article, he goes on to to list some some examples and and language is one he he specifically mentions um, when we can create environments for people to engage with language in different ways. We're making that environment more interesting for them. There, there's more chance of of making interesting connections, of being creative, of 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 grasping new concepts, those kind of things. And so, uh, language is absolutely a loose part, although it's not um, something you can you can hold in your hand um, maybe as as easily as well. No, I guess you can totally hold language in your hand, can't you? Um, they're called they're called books. And, uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, can't can't you? I mean, can you yeah. can you hold on to language? Yeah, I can. Letters and books. Yeah, and I think you can. You know, like it's, and... it's language in a different form. I suppose it's yeah. You just froze for a second, and your face looked just awesome. I wish I could have grabbed yes, a screenshot. You froze too, and but you came back. <laughs> oh, good, good. You came um, back. I don't know what. <laughs> hey listeners that That's little the bit there walk. didn't make that didn't make very good uh yeah i mean the internet's got to go so, so far to get between us um so what what have been your favorite ways of playing with with language in, with, either as a mom or or in in your in your direct care days so i suppose and it's probably the same for both but one of the big things for me is and it sounds so silly and so simple, but is just talking to children, <laughs> like actually engaging children in language, you know, like having a conversation with them, even when they're really little, you know, I can remember some days being at home with an infant, particularly with my first. And if I didn't talk and kind of narrate my my day and what we were doing and, you know, have that, it was bloody quiet, you know, it was really quiet. And I, you know, all three of my children are very vocal. Um, they all speak very well and lots. Um, but my eldest in particular, and I think because he was the only one at home at that time, once the other two come along, there were older siblings. And so there was always more happening. But with him, I was able to just talk all the time. And I did. I talked all the time. We read books all the time. And, you know, I had people who'd say, you know, they don't even take in the book that you're reading at that age. I'm like, no, and I don't care. He hears the way I, you know, use certain inflection and, you know, and that's something I've always noticed with my three children is they've, as they've learnt to read, none of them learnt to read before they went to school, despite the fact that, you know, I'm a massive reader. We read all the time at home. It was never mm -hmm. about teaching them to read or, you know, training them with individual letters or anything like that. It was just about developing that understanding that language means something and words do things and you know I think now then once they had that picking up on learning to take the word and do something with it was much easier and so a lot of it was that just having conversations so simple things like let's go hang out the washing we need the pegs let's get you know all the pegs and you know 
it might be them making up silly songs with the pegs and, you know, lots of that. I actually was talking to someone the other day who um, said, you know, we uh, random left field thing, but we do a family quiz every weekend, 190 questions in the local newspaper. And so we do it as a whole group and, you know, you've got multi-generations, grandparents, me and my husband and then all our kids and whatever. And there was a nursery rhyme question and it was funny that my youngest had absolutely no idea about this nursery rhyme and it was an older one. Um, and But the rest of us did. And, you know, of course, every time there's a um, like a rhyme question or a music question, my mum and I launch into singing it, you know, and so we'll do the old king cole and so then we start and we go off on the whole thing i think i think um, listeners would love to hear no, you saying old king cole i don't think they would um but <laughs> we launch off into that and she she just didn't have that concept She's like oh my gosh i failed her she hasn't got the nursery rhyme thing and i think it was because there was less one-to-one time with her because there were two mm-hmm. other small people at home um, when she was born. And so we didn't do quite as much of that because I was doing other things with everybody. And, um, but yeah, that's always been something that I've enjoyed to do. Um, and you know, it's her brother and, and sister's sort of fault. Her brother, her brother and sister should have taught her the nursery rhyme. They should have passed that on really. Yeah. If they, if they um, got it I've from noticed... you and she, yeah. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. She's missing it. I've noticed lately though, um, I do a lot of visits to services and recently I have noticed in a few different services um, educators doing group times and group times is a whole other topic, but educators doing group times with children holding up an iPad and the iPad reads the story or the iPad sings the nursery rhyme or the song or whatever. And there's a real difference in human word play and you know like I think they think well if I tell a story I might muck up the words or I might stumble over it or I might you know I don't know I don't, I don't know what what the barrier is why I can't tell the story myself I'll, but I'll hold an iPad up to tell you the story and I feel like children are missing some of the the genuine natural flow of language where we do sure. stumble over words sometimes and that's important you know and to then be able to find the right word or to you know to mispronounce something and then go hang on is that right no that's not right let's you know try it again or whatever I feel like there's a group of children now that are going to miss that natural language play and development yeah yeah and one of the other problems that I mean look I've got a lot of problems with circle times but um those those interactions with kids where where everybody's sitting down and uh, listening ears are turned on and the teacher's doing the talking, that's usually one conversation at a time going on. It's that adult engaging with one or two children at a time. Um, when yeah. free play is happening, uh, there are multiple conversations going going on. And so those those free play moments, that child-led self-directed play is is when children have more opportunity to to go deep into conversation because their their conversation, their exposure to language, um, their play with words doesn't have to have an adult involved with it. A a peer or near peer yeah. is is plenty to get that going. And so one of the ways you can you can make language more of a loose part in your program is to have more opportunities, more time spent on child-led self-directed play. 
Yeah, and I've been to not stepping in, not stepping in to stop silly language when we hear it. Like, okay, I'm, I might step step in if someone's, you know, being a bit foul mouthed. But other than that, I think you know some of that like silly play with words is mm-hmm. important for children. You know, like that. I don't know, even like you know he's a silly poo poo head or whatever like some of mm-hmm. that is about sound and it's about you know it's not about actually being nasty to each other and often you'll find that those children will engage in that together it's not I'm saying that to a child you know it's we're having that conversation together you know and we do a lot of like you know silly word things in our house you know and when my when my eldest was little he used to say when he got out of the bath that his fingers were all grumpily and (laughs) instead of like wrinkly or whatever and we're like what does that even mean grumpily but it's turned into a word that's now part of you know our household vernacular and so you know you get out of the ocean and go oh my gosh I've got grumpily hands and feet and like it doesn't mean anything and you wouldn't want to stop that and go no the correct terminology is you know it's like that's just part of play Grumpily, I think that's a good word. I think that's a, that. I think it's that's a very descriptive word. word for for having those pruny fingers. Grumpily, I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna add that to my list of words. Um, grumpily. I don't know how you spell it, but grumpily. Yeah, <laughs> that, that's also that's the way also the way I gauge in the world sometimes. Jeff was Jeff was acting very grumpily. <laughs> Uh, so it's, it's the way it's the way my fingers look and the way I behave. Um, yeah, so I, I think another way that we can we can help make look loose part as a concept or language as a concept as a loose part. But one of the ways we can help kids play with language is to not only surround them with with books and conversation, but also interesting stuff. Because our our brains are drawn towards novelty. And so if we give them an environment with interesting stuff in it, they're going to want to engage with the stuff and then converse about the stuff. So they're going to ask for things like, what's this called? What can it do? And um, and, and their their knowledge of language and how to use it is going to grow from there. And that's one of the things I love about outdoor play and nature play is, you know, there's endless curiosity and wonder and, you know, like things that we've not seen before, some random little bug that we've not encountered before. And so there's conversation that comes about because of that. And, you know, if you're in the same environment all the time with the same boring plastic resources, life becomes pretty dull, you know, like you've ta- you've said all there is to say about the things that you have, whereas when you, you know, connecting with other sorts of loose parts or you're outside or, you know, like you've got those curiosities, then I think that yeah. changes the way that children, you know, engage and, and the way that we engage. You know, it's far more interesting for us to have novelty too because it's like, Oh, look at this thing. I wonder what this thing is. And, you know, we then spark conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and I tell the story in, in some trainings I do uh, years ago, back in my family childcare days, I, I 
I built a pulley system in our playroom. And um, one of the first kids that came in, he was like, uh, Jeff, what's that? I'm like, that's my pulley system. And he he fussed around with it for for five or 10 minutes. And and then other kids started showing up and they were they were asking what it is. And oh, and he was like, oh, that's Jeff's pulley system. Uh, a phrase that he'd never used in his life before. Yeah. He'd already integrated in, in 10 minutes. He integrated it into his vocabulary and was teaching it to other kids because this was an interesting thing. Um, and so anything and I think we it's can the do not dumbing down. Yeah. You know, you didn't dumb yeah. that down and say, oh, it's just a thing to move things to other things. You know, it's like actually you use proper terminology. And I think too often we dumb things down for children thinking I need to make it simple for them to understand. But actually we can have the conversation about what the real thing is. We had a conversation in the car the other day, um, my kids and I, and um, one of my kids said something, uh, it was the eldest who's 13, said something about the brain and, you know, the front of the brain. Oh, that's right. Someone said something about forethought. And he said, yeah, that's because it's the thought that's happening like at the forefront of your brain and whatever. And I said, yeah, I said the prefrontal cortex and you know, then my youngest is like, well, what's that? And I said, you know, it's part of your brain that's, you know, responsible for decision making. I said, did you know that, you know, it doesn't fully develop usually till you're about 25 and, you know, blah, blah, blah. So we had this conversation. She's like, so is that why adults can make better decisions than children? And I'm like, well, that's why we say that sometimes you can't make a certain decision or a choice about something because your brain's not fully developed enough to process all the decisions, all the, you know, possible implications and blah, blah, blah. And my middle child goes, but there's definitely some adults that can't make good decisions. So do they just have a really lousy prefrontal cortex? <laughs> Actually, they possibly do. But, you know, we had this big conversation with children mm-hmm. who are, you know, 8, 10 and 13 but we started on, you know, prefrontal cortex and limbic brain. And, you know, like we started with proper terminology. And by the end of the conversation, they were using that terminology and kind of playing around with what it means. And, you know, I think that's, I don't think that's about adultizing children, but I think it's about speaking to them with real words, you know, and they can play with those real words and understand what they mean. Yeah, yeah. If we want kids to grow up and read and write and talk more gooder, um, we need to give them more We need to give them more the more more betterer. Is that the correct way? Um, we need to give them plenty of opportunity to to practice. And and so building yeah. those vocabularies is great. When it comes to writing, playing with language in a written form, uh, just, just making the writing utensils universally available in the program is, is a great step. And I know that terrifies a a lot of adults because they're they worry that the kids are going to write on everything and they 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 might but i mean my experience is and look it's limited to my experience but when kids have lots of stuff that they can write on um the the amount of wall writing and writing on the table um goes down drastically it still happens but if there's always something available to write on and they're brought up from their earliest years to know where to get that stuff, um, most kids, most of the time can 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 keep the writing, the tips of the writing utensils on things that are supposed to be that are that are allowed to be written on. Um, what's your experience with that? Yeah, I agree. And one of the things I love 
um, and, you know, we still use it at home a lot, is chalk. You know, my kids sure. write on the concrete with chalk all the time. And I was out in the backyard the other day and, you know, they've written, and again, I've got like, you know, eight and 10-year-old girls. So, you know, it's um, Sage Holton loves such and such, you know, and they've got all these different names from school and, you know, they're like, but they're playing around with words. They even had our dog, Simba. And Daisy, who's the dog from down the road, together forever. <laughs> and I'm just like, that's great. You know, that's them just playing, that's playing with those words and ideas sure. and whatever. And chalk's such a good medium for that because they can, they can write on the concrete. They can, I don't care if they write on the outside of the house. Like it really doesn't matter because it brushes off. It's not a big deal. So, um, and when I was a kid, I had a massive chalkboard outside and, you know, I've always had chalk available to children um, because I think it's good for when they're playing around with words too because they can play around and write it down then they can wash it off or you know whatever it's not it hasn't got that permanency and I think you know in terms of language as a loose part having a place where words can you know not have permanency is sometimes a good thing for that playing around I've Tash and I've got a whiteboard on our door into our office and every time my kids are here one of them will rub the whiteboard out and write some other sort of message, you know, CEOs of looking busy and, you know, stuff, just random things or they'll write the weather on there or whatever. Um, but it's that fact that I think it's, you know, kind of not permanent allows for that playfulness and creativity with language. Yeah, yeah. And and look, if you're worried about them writing on the walls, um, I think it's better to have a, a pint of of paint of your wall color and a paintbrush nearby that when that happens on a Friday afternoon before you leave work, you can paint over their scribbles and come back to a fresh bit of wall paint on Monday morning than not to have those materials available all the time. Um, it's an easy fix for when those things happen. Um, some people, oh, they're going to write on themselves. Well, yeah, they might. Um, and, and so what? It's going to wash off and... For, for most kids, that's more of a, a sensory activity, I think, than it mm. is a I'm trying to be bad and piss off my adults activity. Yes. Um, it feels it feels neat to paint or write on my my skin. It's an interesting sensation. Um, and so, I mean, don't worry. There's no reason to worry about that stuff because it's 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 going to happen. Everybody's going to live through it. I've, I've I've been working on this field for a long time and I've never heard of a, a child who's who's um, died because of writing on their skin or the wall. Um, heard of some getting in trouble, uh, but, <laughs> yeah. you know. This has been we an get, exploration down the learning we upstairs create over that studio kind of stuff and move on and let us have those experiences with those materials because that's how their ability to write and play with language uh, grows. Um, yeah. I, you, you mentioned... Um, harsher language swear words a little bit ago and those those are really powerful loose parts and i think we've mm. done whole whole episodes on on cussing and, and stuff before but but those those words seep into kids vocabulary because they're around other people that use those words and they're likely to come out as playthings in in your environment and sometimes it's done for for as an expression of power 
because I know this word and it's going to make adults freak the fuck out. <laughs> and so I'm going to use yeah. this, this word. Um, sometimes it's just because they, they, they've heard the word and, and want to say it, not having any idea what it means and not trying to be offensive yeah. and not trying to be bad, but I I've heard this thing. And so I'm going to repeat this thing. Um, so and sometimes it's in context. Well, you know, sure. Sometimes it's actually said in context and you kind of go, well, I get why they said that. Like, yeah. I understand, you know. I can remember yeah. um, Tasha's son, when he was like a toddler, he um, was mowing the lawn with a pretend lawnmower outside and whatever, and something got stuck under his lawnmower. And I'm sure he said, like, oh, fuck's sake or something. Like, just, and Tasha said she saw it and just went, well, that's his dad like that's exactly <laughs> what he would do and what he would say and you know sure. the mannerisms was the same and she's like you kind of go if I make a big deal about it 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 does demonize that thing and which also can incentivize saying it sometimes it's better to just let it go when it's in context yeah than to you know particularly for toddlers because they just don't even realize most of the time what they've said and yeah I think that's that's another issue altogether but um, yeah, I think sometimes we can kind of let it slide a little bit. Sure, sure. Um, you have I, I I made a list. Look, I knew we were going to talk about this topic before we got, so I had a chance to make a list of uh, of some of my favorite new words I've been playing with lately. Do you have any 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 favorite new words that you've stumbled upon lately that you you like to play with? Or I don't want to put you on the spot, but I'm going. Not to. any new words? I don't know if I have any new ones, but I am a fan of like coming across a word and then going, oh, I'll use that for a while. I can remember when I was towards the end of high school and I first heard someone say the word, and it's probably pronounced slightly differently being Australian to American, but um, plethora, which just meant a mm -hmm. lot of. And I was sure. like, oh, plethora, plethora. And so word. I used that for ages because I was like, that's a word that I've not used before. So I do like a new word, but I can't say I can think of any off the top of my head at the moment. Okay, I, I've grabbed a couple from from yeah. blogs and podcasts over the last couple of days. So we talked about this one a couple episodes ago. I, I love squiz as a new word. Um, squiz, to, yeah, squiz. Like, like take a squiz at something, take a look at something. So I've I've been I've been trying to use squiz more. I think that's a fun word. It's not a real U.S. word. Um, so <laughs> I, I I didn't grow up with it, but squiz is one of my favorite new words. Um, that came from a podcast. Excellent. Uh, Someone. Someone. Like, so someone, like someone, like somewhere, someone. Yeah. 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 It's it it means okay. the same. But but it's it, I mean, it's a it's a in the dictionary word. It's been around for a long time. Uh what? it gets used more in the UK uh than than the US, but um it's it I think Definitely it's a some someone. Yeah. So I'm gonna try to use hmm. someone more. Um and then I was reading a a, an economics blog the other day and came across, I, I, I knew this, but I haven't, I don't use it much. And I think I should, um, fuck with. Oh, we use fuck with all the time. Yeah. So, so yeah. So that's I'm going to try to oh, start that's using like, fuck That's with. Australian 101. Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to get fuck with more into, into my vocabulary. Um, you can add, there's also, um, and I heard it on like a video, uh, on social media this morning and I went oh I haven't used that one for a while and it's it, it's similar but it's fuck stick oh that's a good so one too like I'll add it to my list yeah. 
Look, I mean, the word fuck, to be honest, is probably one of the most versatile words in the language, in sure. our language. Like it can be used for so many different things and it can be used negatively and it can be used positively. It's like, oh, thank fuck for that. You know, like that's not bad. That's not being offensive. It's just mm-hmm. relief. And I really, when I count it up, like I use it multiple times a day in multiple different manners. And I think that's versatility. That's loose part right there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and speaking of loose parts, right now, listening to this episode, there is somebody driving to or from work <laughs> with a with a two and a half year old in a car seat in the back of their vehicle. Who who I tomorrow? Apologize. Who tomorrow is going to uh, be talking about that fuckwit that took their green shovel away from them on the playground? And it's going to be all our fault. But it'll also be language used as a loose part. So. You're yes. welcome, listener. Um, hey, you listeners, <laughs> listeners, if you've <laughs> uh, if you got any, um, you know, any fun words you've been playing with, if you want to talk about any any fuckwits you've encountered or anything else you want to talk about, <laughs> uh, call or text 228-363-6737 and let us know about it. Um Look, you can think about this whole podcast as playing with language as a a loose part, the way I stumble over my own tongue through most episodes. Any final thoughts before we wrap it up, Nicole? No, I think I've said enough. (laughs) Hey, next next episode uh, that Nicole and I are together for, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about. I'm going to tell you about my my new friend, which I'm I'm very excited to talk about, and uh, we're going to talk about the the idea of vowels before vowels, which also kind of has to do with. With language, I guess. Good this language. has been the Child Care Bar and Grill Podcast, the world's low. What is it? This has been the shot. You want to do this part? You want to do it? Yeah. I got nothing. This Longest has been the Child Care Bar and Grill. And most prolific. Yeah, that's what it is. This has been the Child Care <laughs> Bar and Grill Podcast, the world's longest running and most prolific plethora of podcasts. Back soon. Bye. Nice Bye. <laughs> Bye.